Well, what a timely conversation to be having uh, this morning. And I'm really excited to talk to Allison Schrager of the Manhattan Institute. Uh, we had scheduled a podcast to talk about inflation. And as it turns out, new numbers just came out this morning. And we've had a couple bank failures, or at least one bank failure, right? Mm-hmm. So the economy is, um, for me, I'm not an economist, taking twists and turns that I can't quite understand or make sense of. Um, first, I would like you to just, if you wouldn't mind, explain to me and our listeners what is going on with inflation, because it's like, I feel like uh, it's this issue that people are kind of panicked about, but then it seems to be getting under control, maybe not as fast as we want. But then the Fed's like, we absolutely have to continue to raise rates to address inflation. So which is it? Is inflation an enormous problem right now? Or is it getting under control on its own? Well, I'd say it's a problem. It's less of a problem. I think if you go grocery shopping, you notice that things prices are still rising faster than you're used to, but not obscenely fast like they had before. Um, I think the it you know we tend to think about this as a problem in very binary ways like either inflation's out of control or it's two percent and it's under our control and that's just historically not how inflation behaves um i mean it had for a long time um but once you have this sort of reintroduction of inflation it really changes people's expectations and it can really seep into the economy and then it's really hard to get rid of which is why the fed keeps saying we are committed to getting to two percent um we don't know if they actually are, but they at least want us to think that. Um, because I, I think what we're seeing is what a lot of economists expected, which was inflation would fall it was like 8%. That's crazy. And that was largely driven by a lot of sort of transitory factors, as people pointed out, like supply chain issues and pandemic-related spending. But those things go away. But there's still now this memory and expectation of inflation that has remained and is very persistent and becomes sort of self-fulfilling. So what we're seeing is high inflation in services, which has clearly nothing to do with um, supply chain issues. We're seeing uh, persistent wage increases. So what we might see is sort of inflation certainly continuing to fall and also not going down to 2%. And, you know, a lot of economists can be quite flipped about the difference between 2 3 or 4% inflation. But I mean, 4% is twice what 2% is. Sure. And and while you can have a healthy economy at 4% inflation, inflation is certainly more present in your life than it was at two. Right. I, uh, you know, do research on education finance a lot. And on for the last, you know, for most of my career, I try to, where appropriate, adjust things for our inflation. And to be honest, for the last decade, it's been like 1%. And I'm like, nah, mm-hmm. I don't really feel the need to adjust these numbers for inflation because adjusted, they're going to look a lot like the unadjusted numbers. And I think if you've been out in the workforce for only 10 years or like, you know, my kids are buying homes or whatever, you just think that uh, interest rates are very, very low and they never go up at all. So I is that what you mean when you say perception of inflation is causing inflation? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're now like, wow, you know, my spending power might be eroded a lot during the year and you're, yeah. big, you know, before if it was kind of a tight year at your company and they're like, we can't afford to give you a raise, you'd be like, all right, you know, whatever. Now you're like, well, actually, that's a pay cut because yeah. by the end of the year, it's going to be not less. So you'll really sort of be demanding higher raises. Um, so and that's sort of I said when it gets into the bones of the economy. And I think that's yeah. the concern. There's also, I mean, longer structural concerns about, you know, inflation was low for so long for a lot of reasons. And some of those reasons might be reversing. Like, for instance, if we pull back and do less trade than we were before. 
Like the fact we were getting so much cheap stuff from China really kept prices quite low. This sort of sudden like move to have buying things online where we could price shop better was also maybe keeping like, so that's not going away, but we're not going to have that sort of positive shock again. And also the aging of the population might also mean higher inflation. So we might be moving to a world. How how would that mean higher inflation? Well, as I said, you just have like less productivity, fewer people working, things like that. So we might just be living to a world where we just do have naturally higher inflation and we sort of are expecting higher inflation. So that doesn't mean the economy is unhealthy. As I said, we got three, four percent inflation. That's not necessarily bad as long as it's predictable. It's often the risk, the uncertainty, not knowing around inflation that does the damage more than the level. But it, it, it also means that like it, it was going to be more in your mind and it is something we're going to have to maybe learn how to live with. Yeah. And so you go to buy eggs and they're $7 and you're like, what happened? what happened? When did eggs become $7? Then yeah. there's, of course, the thing that we all watch all the time as we drive on the roads is gas prices. And I think yeah. lots of folks believe that that's a monitor of the economy. I'm not sure that it is, but if we were like 319 versus 329, big swing. Well, that's important. And I mean, one of the reasons, and people always make fun of the Fed for looking at core inflation, which doesn't include food or gas prices. And, and there's legitimate reasons for that. One is those swings are less driven by the, you know, things in the economy and policy and more just sort of like the global market. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there, there are reasons to think energy prices are going to be more volatile going forward, but th- that's sort of in a separate category than a lot of the inflation pressures. So now, is it true, in your opinion, that the Fed will be less likely to continue to raise rates because of what's happening in the banking industry? Well, I mean, this has honestly like been the fear all along, is the Fed has the two mandates, right? Inflation and unemployment. And it's been really cheap for the Fed to be like, we really are committed to getting back down to 2% inflation. We'll do whatever it takes when unemployment was also at record lows. But they also have this secret, or not secret, but like less talked about third objective, which is financial stability. And so this is sort of like what a lot of Fed watchers have been kind of worried about that increasing, we as you were said, your children sort of anticipate rates are going to be low, that they'll be able to get 3% mortgage forever. Yeah. The economy, like even amongst very sophisticated people, has gotten really built around low interest rates. Yeah. And now rates are, I mean, historically not that high, but still higher than what people are used to and also more volatile than what people are used to. So that is just... Um, causing we're starting to see with the bank collapse this weekend a lot more sort of instability and financial instability so now the rate the fed needs to increase rates to get inflation down but that's also causing financial instability which is one of their mandates and can cause like all sorts of nasty things so they're sort of in a tough place right now i think this is honestly why one of the things that was more controversial they did is banks that are in trouble can um, take a loan from the Fed and they can post as collateral their bond portfolio, but they can effectively post their bond portfolio for the price they bought it at, not the price that it actually is right now. And, you know, that seems kind of wacky, but I think that's the Fed trying to be like, oh, okay, well, let's sort of like counteract this interest rate risk that we've just introduced to the economy. Yeah, I guess I'm glad I'm not Jerome Powell. I don't know. It sounds like a tricky spot to be in. Yeah, although, you know, I mean, some of this is of his own making. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, not that that's okay. I think he wants the best for the economy and I I don't envy him either, but there were definitely mistakes made. Yeah. So one thing that uh, you've written a, a paper on recently is maybe trying to control inflation from the supply side. Yeah. And that has not been happening as much. 
Well, no, kind of actually kind of the opposite. Um, I mean, we talk a good game about it, but um, so, you know, prices are driven obviously by supply and demand. And one reason we had a lot of inflation is we had a lot less supply because people weren't making stuff in the pandemic, but people demanded more stuff. Yeah. So um, because one of, you know, the Fed is somewhat constrained having to fight inflation by bringing demand down, we still want more stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and um, we also would like inflation to go down. So the obvious thing to do here is just increase the supply, like have more goods, have us be more productive. And this would co- solve a lot of our problems. Um, and honestly, I think one weakness in the economy over the last 15 years is we got very demand oriented. All economists could talk about was demand management, very Keynesian, unfortunately. But like supply issues you know, we saw them during the pandemic, but they were bubbling up for a long time. And I don't yeah. think got enough attention. So part of me welcomes the um, discussion that's really now focused more on building supply. Unfortunately, we're doing it completely the wrong way. Um, so when we wrote this uh, briefing for the Manhattan Institute, it was like, well, they, these would be better ways to do it. But what are we doing instead? Well, effectively, we be doing what are we doing? Well, we're doing industrial policy, which is we need to make more stuff. So you can do that by like encouraging the private sector to make more stuff, or yep. you can say the government knows what stuff to make. We will do that, or we will pr- create incentives to con- to get the um, private sector to do the stuff we want them to do and to do it the way we want to, d- to do them. And we're doing that a lot. That never works. Yeah, but you know, w- you know, this whole supply side zeal, it, it seems to, like determined not to learn the lessons from the past. Although mm-hmm. I think even sort of a lot of the fans of these policies are starting to sort of be disappointed. We haven't even started them yet, but they're like, oh, gee, like the CHIPS Act would be the example of like an industrial policy. Like we saw that, the you know, chips became very insecure and expensive. So maybe we just make a lot of chips here that would make them cheaper. That sounds so good, but like it's not. Because yeah. we're, not, we're not just giving companies subsidies to build chip factories here. We're also saying you also have to provide childcare. Yeah. You also have to like have a building that meets a gazillion environmental regulations. You also have to pay everyone who's even involved with this project tangentially a much higher wage than you would pay like in the market. So you can see how this sort of starts turning into a very expensive boondoggle, which isn't really supply side growing. Is the same thing happening in batteries? I don't I- know. I think it's being incentivized as well, but I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. And what about uh, tax policy? I mean, the, the president has announced his budget and his plans. They don't seem like policies that will encourage growth in the economy either. No, I think, I mean, he. there is probably room to increase taxes on higher earners. But I mean, he's just looking at their income and their assets as this unlimited mm-hmm. piggy, piggy bank and really increasing taxes on their capital gains um even like i don't know i don't see how this is even feasible taxing their unrealized capital gains yeah and um increasing corporate taxes to the point where like they're twice the 15 minimum percent almost that he's in which is said doesn't encourage as much investment here so um i i don't think this policies are particularly pro-growth um either so then what about the national debt Mm -hmm. Aren't we going to get, um, do you think that, number one, do you think that they'll increase increase the debt ceiling now? There's more pressure to do so as interest rates go up, right? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to. I mean, I I, I mean, I think e- I, even I'm hearing what was traditionally very left-wing economists um, who for years were pushing that we need to spend, we need to spend, interest rates are low. I heard two very prominent ones last week being like, this debt problem is really worrying. It is pretty big. 
right? Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the Biden plans, it's bigger, better government and some rich person's going to pay for it. And the numbers just don't add up. Right. And in fact, it kind of just means a more sclerotic, bigger government, but actually a lot less growth and honestly, less supply. Yeah, I think it's seemingly hard for folks to understand, maybe. I just saw that Illinois passed a law and the governor signed that every business, regardless of size, regardless of number of employees, has to offer every employee, even part-time employees, paid time off for any reason they want to take it. And immediately my thought goes, well, uh, small businesses are going to have to let go of employees, right? They, they just don't have the margins in their in their budgets to make that happen. Whereas it seems like, well, this would be great for part-time workers. I think it's hard for folks to understand that that affects the supply side. The supply side will contract if you force the supply side to increase their costs. Yeah, I think they don't understand that a lot of businesses operate with very narrow margins. So if especially small businesses, and it's sort of like, I don't understand where they're coming from because they rail and rail against big companies taking over the market and market concentration. And then they pass these laws that effectively make it impossible for small businesses to stay in business. We're really, if they just let them, you know, hire fire people and give them the benefits that economically made sense, you know, you would get a lot less market concentration. Yeah. And then another thing that I'm hearing a lot about right now in Missouri, when the governor gave his state of the state, so much talk about childcare. And I understand childcare has gotten exorbitantly expensive, but then there's so much federal government money Mm -hmm. available now for childcare. And in Missouri, particularly with the um, the Mm -hmm. stimulus money, they've created a quality rating panel and they're going to rate the quality of every child care uh, facility in the state. They've hired people and bought cars and everything for that to happen. And that also seems like a misguided policy to me, either put money directly into the hands of parents and let them get child care mm-hmm. right? um, if they need it or or find a way that that opens up the child care market versus the government now saying we'll pay for all of it, but we're going to control the whole market. Yeah, I mean, they They'll probably revive it, but they had a really terrible childcare policy of putting on a lot of subsidies and then also putting on a lot more restrictions, which is just a recipe to make childcare a lot more expensive for everyone. Yeah, and, and it seems to have worked. Yeah, um, it would be better as well to give people accounts or sort of tax advantage accounts to pay for this stuff. Yeah, um, and this is it to reform regulation so we can just have more better quality childcare and let people pay for it as they want. Again, this is more on the supply side, right? Where you just exactly let companies um, have the freedom to succeed or fail in a way that has, you know, doesn't have the federal government or state governments coming in and telling them how to run their business. Yeah. And also lets people figure out the childcare they want for them. Like I remember in the original plan, you know, it was unclear, like how they'd even handle religious childcare. A lot of people want to have their children sure. in religious preschools and, you know, good for them. Um, you know, sure. You know, of course. So. I mean, people should be able to free to make that choice. Um, what about the uh, something that concerns me is the shrinking labor force participation rates. Mm-hmm. What do you think we can do about that? I mean, let's like got this in econ- an economist on the podcast, and I'm just going to fire economic questions at you. But what do we do about labor force participation? Because it seems to be at an all time low among, among men, especially. Yeah. How do we I turn that around? I think this is a really, as I said, I said, this is something that was brewing even before. It seems like every time we have a recession, a lot of men especially leave the labor force. Since the pandemic, it looks like women have more or less come back 
The latest numbers also had men coming back, although I read somewhere that that might be misleading because we've also had more immigration. So mm. some of the labor force participation, I mean, immigrants tend to work. So um, is going to is going to be, you know, sort of immigrants entering the labor force. But actual like native born men are still like maybe 0.7 um, percent like working less than they did and i think what we're just seeing is you have a lot of men, a lot of men who are just like kind of marginally attached to the labor force for whatever reason why it, it could be um drugs it yeah. could be uh jobs in their area they don't feel they're a good match for um i recently wrote for bloomberg you know i think you always had people who kind of were ambivalent about work that's probably always been true yeah. um but what we have now is also and i mean in some ways this is a great development you know more women are in the labor force and making more money they have more economic power that raises household income so if you're a man who's kind of marginally attached to the labor force and some woman is working in your house it doesn't have to be your wife because these men tend not to be married it could be your mom could be your sister could be your grandmother like you just have less need to work so you kind of don't and um, it could just mean the equilibrium rate of men working is just slower because, you know, it's good women are working in some ways. But um, I think that might also be part of it. But there are also these sort of factors that are making more men marginally attached, as I said, like opiates and fentanyl and sort of. Yeah, I, think, and, I think culturally, too, um, decades ago, in like the middle of the last century, for a man to not work. Mm -hmm. uh, be supported uh, by a woman or by somebody else and just be home and be of working age and not working. There was a lot more shame to that. Yeah. Than there is now where we have what two thirds maybe is the labor force participation rate in some groups of males, um, some subgroups of males. And, you know, that's quite low if a third of males are not in school, not working and the key not looking for work, which was mm -hmm. what takes them out of the labor force. I just, it's hard for older people to imagine that that's even true. Yeah. I mean, and it is, it is a real problem because socially it can be very destructive. Yes, that's right. And I mean, as I said, I think there are certain factors like technologies and another thing people are speculating like before, what, you know, in the 1960s, if you didn't work and you were a man, like, what'd you do all day? Yeah, exactly. Now you can play video games. Yeah, um, plenty. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can plenty feel like, you can have like, feel like you had a very full day without leaving your parents' basement. Um yeah. And, you know, people still make fun of that economic study, but I think it's held up. You know, people got confused because demand issues sort of came back online and more people worked. But we still had this underlying structural problem that has still not gone away. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of factors. Some we can control and some we just can't. Yeah. And I've been talking a lot in the last couple of years about the generation that was in school in the last pandemic in 1918, and they never caught up, mm -hmm. caught up educational attainment or earnings wise or just general economically they did not catch up and i again coming from the state of missouri last year on the national test 40 percent of our eighth graders were below basic in math so we're getting real close to half the students starting high school and they don't have partial knowledge of grade level math i don't see where that puts us in 2030 right when those kids are graduating from high school and they're not college or career ready we know that our numbers are quite low on that they're not going to be joining an economy in any in any high functioning way. I just feel like we ought to be seeing these as leading indicators and doing something massive about it right now. And, and I, I don't see that level of panic. No, instead, I feel like we're lowering standards. That's right. Like people just seem to think like being good at math is sort of optional or like this extraordinary talent. And like, if you don't have it, you should feel OK about it. Um, That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> 
But um, as I said, it's it's a you know, and it's so frustrating. I feel like th this is like entitlement reform to me. It's like just this sort of really obvious slow moving crisis that's like right in front of us, right. and we're just like opting not to do anything about it. Yeah, I talk about it all the time. So, in, on given that, where do you think we're headed? Where do you think we're headed interest rate wise? Interest rates wise for the rest of the year? Um, you know, everyone. Uh, sort of seems to expect in finance that the Fed can just sort of control interest rates. Yeah. And sadly, it's not that simple, particularly the, any interest rate that's not a uh, short duration. Um, I think the Fed might pause or do 25 basis point hike next time. Um, I think the market certainly looks like it's pricing and that they're done with interest rate hikes. I don't think that's going to happen. I think as well, this sort of lending facility suggests they're trying to get more room to raise rates without causing a crisis. But either way, I mean, I, I, I try to explain to people, like, even if the Fed said, all right, we're done, like, we're, we're afraid yeah. of this, we're going to let this go. That doesn't mean interest rates go down. The 10-year bonds is largely a function of inflation expectations and inflation risk. So right. even if the Fed is like, all right, just, let's just let this go, like, then, then inflation's out of control, and they've sort of ceded sort of any control over this. And that means higher rates, too. In fact, less predictable and higher rates. So in some ways, that's worse than yep. the Fed keeps increasing. And they know that. So I think as long as they can, they're going to keep increasing rates. But to some degree, as I said, if we're living in a higher inflation economy where also inflation is less predictable, rates are also going to be higher. Like I have a friend who's looking to buy an apartment and she was like, well, I'll just take out a mortgage now at 7%. And when the mortgage rates fall, I'll refinance. I'm like, they might not fall. I mean, that's right. They've been 13, 18% in the past. And Absolutely. When I bought my, I bought an apartment during the pandemic and I was, buy, when I bought my um, apartment, interest rates like, just mortgage rates had just hit their record lows the week I closed. And like at that point, the Fed was buying almost every mortgage-backed security on the market. They effectively were making mortgage rates as cheap as possible. Why they were doing this in 2021, I do not know. But because like we were clearly like the housing market was very hot and did not need any stimulus, but whatever. I, I now effectively have a cheap home to live in. Um, but yeah. it it also means like the mortgage market, the housing market is going to be really funky for a long time because a I mean, lot of people are like me and like can never afford to move because I have such a low mortgage rate. Yeah, you can't give it up, right? It's like free money. Me too. I have a 3%. And that's insane. I've also in my lifetime had a, an 11%. You know, I thought when I got down to nine and it was single digits in the like early 90s, it was a big deal, right? But now 3%, that's, I don't expect to see it again. But I think lots of folks on the younger end are like, when's that coming back? I'm like, I can't believe we ever had it. We had 0% interest rates. I mean, like we were down at the bare minimum scraping bottom in interest rates. And so now we're, to me, we're just sort of getting back into like normal interest rates. But um, yeah, considering the risks involved with lending someone money for 30 years to buy a home, like yeah. the idea that rates were that low is crazy. I mean, there's a lot of government intervention that gets it that low and that, that a lot of the intervention is still there. But I mean, a 30 year fixed rate mortgage really does not exist in most countries. And we do a lot to make it so. But, you know, there's still a spread on that that's going to exist because of risk. And as I said, I think even the 10 year rate is really what determines mortgage rates. And I think we're in for a world where the 10 year rate is just going to be a bit, quite a bit higher. And that's yeah. just going to be our new normal. And uh, we unfortunately, you know, I think that was coming, brewing even before the pandemic, but the pandemic sort of just brought us to that reality a lot faster. Yeah. And then as far as the supply side playbook, mm -hmm. you have optimism there because I'm not feeling it right now. What do you think? 
I like to think that, you know, I mean, if you look at government policy now, there's just now deep, deep denial. Yeah. And like that, you know, we can manage and control the economy and make the government big and get growth. And eventually the debt is just going to be so big that they're just going to have to wake up to reality. And then maybe they'll adopt some of our policies. I mean, these things do go in waves. Um, I mean, over time, the size of government definitely trends up. Sure. But, um, you know, at a certain point, if it's unsustainable, I mean, we've never done this, but other countries have just taken a big step back. And maybe we all have that experience, too. Al Gore's reinventing government, which, you know, it didn't really get reinvented, but there was an attempt to like, look at every position in the federal government. And, uh, but my experience, and I did work for the federal government for a while, is it only grows and state government too. It only gets bigger. Yeah. You know, it can't go on forever. I don't think it's sustainable. I mean, the debt, if it's just imaginary, I guess you can just keep making it bigger, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but, you know, you're not going to bail out banks by printing money. It's just the things that the, that people think the federal government can do. And it's like, it's us doing it and it's our money and it's all on the backs of our kids and grandchildren too. Yeah, so. and the, the Flim Fleming is like, they always have these like rather complex ways of doing these bailouts. And then they're like, see, taxpayers aren't paying for it. But like, we kind of are. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. is no other source, right? Yeah, like you didn't create free money from the sky. Like you That's always right. end up paying for it. Well, Alison, I appreciate you coming and answering all of my layman's questions. Oh, thanks for having because- me. It's a crazy time in the economy and I don't understand it. Like, you know, it, it is hard to understand uh, exactly what's happening where companies can't hire, but uh, inflation keeps going up. But uh, I think you've helped us sort it out. So thank you. Very I hope much. so. I appreciate it. Thank you.